Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. Toya and RJ just got back from Haiti. So she took our 12-year-old son to Haiti, which is crazy, first of all. But she said he did an amazing job just loving on kids. And just to give you an update, there are 74 kids at our school there at Chapel Haiti that now get an education, like legit education. We add a grade each year. So now we have secondary teachers that come up. So we have 74 kids that get educated and fed a hot meal every day, which for some of them is the only hot meal they get all week. 74 kids, and we created 20 jobs in the village through that school. And so you're doing an amazing job through your sponsorships and through your giving to make an impact that you may never see, but you're making a huge impact in the nation of Haiti. And so I want to say thank you for that. And also, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. And what that means is it's a Sunday for you to declare your love for God in front of others. So it's a, like a marriage ceremony where you can get married anywhere you want to. You get married to the courthouse. Many people choose to do it in front of their friends and family because they want everyone to know how much they love their new spouse. In the same way, baptisms, we can get baptized anywhere, but we choose to do so in front of our friends and family at church so they can be a witness that we're aligning our lives, we're pledging our allegiance to Christ, his kingdom, and who he is. And so for many of you, you've gotten rededicated gotten saved in the past few months, I would strongly encourage you to make your next step a step of following Jesus in water baptism. You'll say, oh, why? I believe there's a spiritual blessing that comes along with it. One, I believe it's an appeal for a clear conscience. So many things that maybe you deal with, maybe you'll realize then God has already forgiven you. He's washed you. You're new. Move forward, not back. And so we have everything you need, towels, clothes, XYZ. And so you do us a favor and register ahead of time by texting the word baptism to 256-670-2860 or swing by the booth out in the lobby. They can give you any answers you need to any questions you may have and you can sign up out there as well. If you have Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4 as we continue our mind control series. Last week we talked about how it is not God's will for us to deal with anxiety and, and lack peace and freedom in our minds. It's not God's will. He said his will is that we should have a peace that surpasses our understanding. But for many of us, we have heaven in our heart and hell in our mind, and this battle between the two ensues, where for many of us, the battle we are losing. We're losing the battle. We're dealing with anxiety more than we've ever dealt with anxiety before before in our culture. Stress, depression, mental illness. We're dealing with it at escalated exponential levels in this modern time, especially the younger the demographic, the more they deal with anxiety and stress. And today we're going to deal with how to push the pause button. So life is a life of rhythm. When you look at life, there's rhythms that happen every day in our lives. There's seasons. We call those rhythms that we have seasons of spring, summer, fall, and winter. There's rhythms for your body, that you have circadian rhythms, that you sleep at a certain time, you wake up at a certain time. Your heart has a rhythm, and when your heart gets out of rhythm, they call it an arrhythmia, which means part of your heart is beating off rhythm. You may not know what it is, but you see the symptoms of it through being fatigued or tired, being out of breath, and you know, I'm out of breath, but I really don't know why. It's because your heart may be out of rhythm. 
Life is rhythms. Our families have rhythms. We have routines. We have things that happen. Our family get our kids up at 6 a.m. They get running, getting ready for school, get their lunches ready, get their clothes ready. They go to school. Alicia is in six AP classes at Florence High School. Heavy workload. She gets out of school. The twins have volleyball practice, may have a volleyball game. RJ may have basketball practice, may have a game. And they're doing all this. They get home at sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock at night. Then they start doing homework and studying for the next day. They may go to sleep 2 o'clock in the morning, only to get up and do it again. There's rhythms. And the world has a rhythm. And the world's rhythm is busyness. And the busier we are, many times, the more fulfilled we believe we are. For many of you, you think the busier you are, the more successful you are. You can, I can tell by say, well, man, how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm just busy. What you're trying to say is, oh, man, I'm just important. No, you're, you're too unwise to manage your time and steward it correctly. We think being busy means we're doing well, when in reality, it may mean you're just out of rhythm. And you got caught up in the rhythm of the world, and now you're feeling the, the effects of that through anxiety, through fatigue, through being unhealthy, through obesity, through many things that you see the symptoms, but you didn't know it's because you're out of rhythm. When you play Tetris, like we talked about last week, whenever the game starts getting faster and faster and faster and it starts getting out of control, many of us just panic and panic and panic, and we live in this constant state of being panicked, like everything's just moving too fast and it's out of control. I'm in this routine and rhythm of just speed and business and fast and fast, and we lose sight that there's actually a button that you can push that pauses the game. You say, well, how would I know I'm, I'm in that state? It's a word called frazzle. And you know that you're frazzled. Touch your neighbor and say frazzled. This is how you can tell that you're frazzled, that even in moments of quietness, it's still noisy. When times you're trying to focus on maybe item A, you think for 20, 30 seconds and you're already thinking about B and maybe C and maybe D and your mind just never quite settles or calms down. It's, it's caught up in the rhythm of the world, which is to overload it with more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And what we've learned is that more is never the answer. More money is never the right answer. People won the lottery, still not happy. More fun is not always the right answer. More house, more car, more nothing. More is never the right answer. The right rhythm and the right balance is always the right answer. So we would stand to your feet as we read Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Touch your neighbor and say rejoice. If you notice that word, it has R-E at the beginning. And if you went through elementary school English class, you know that is a prefix for re, which means to do something again. So Paul here is in prison, and he's awaiting his death, and he's telling the church at Philippi to rejoice or to find your joy again. Discover the joy in life again. Find the things worth living for again in your life. Rejoice. Rejoy. Find your joy again. And you'll never find your joy if you're caught up in the routine and the rhythm of the world. The world's whole rhythm is to get you so busy you lose sight of the things that are worth living for. And you have to push the pause button 
to rejoice. It does not happen by default. Many times rejoice is not on our to-do list. It's not on our calendar. It's not on our task list. You have to push pause and purposely rejoice. Find your joy again. Discover the joy of life again. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your blessings, but more than anything, we thank you for you. For the joy of the Lord, your joy is our strength. And right now, we just ask that you bring our minds, our hearts, and our spirits back into tune and back into rhythm with the joy of life you've created us to live. So, Father, we just pray that we rebuke every, every single wrong thought, every bit of anxiety and stress and depression. We just pray these few moments, Father, we can refocus back on who you've created us to be and who you are in our lives. Help us recalibrate and realign our lives around your rhythms and not the world's. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Rejoice. Find your joy again. Push pause on the Tetris game that's moving too fast. It's out of control. Push pause on your calendar. Push pause on your to-do list. Push pause on your routine. Because many times our routine determines our attitudes and what we actually pursue. Pushing pause says, I'm going to stop for a minute and start to think about the things that are actually worth thinking about. Instead of thinking about whatever I'm told to think about, I'm going to think about the things worth thinking about it, but you'll never get to that point without pushing pause. And some of you in this room are scared to push pause because you find your identity in your busyness. Jesus dealt with this with Martha. Martha was busy, busy, busy. Mary was worshiping at the feet of Jesus, experiencing the joy of the Lord, and Martha was upset. Why? She found her identity in her busyness. And if you find your identity in your busyness or your job or your money or your belongings, you'll never push pause because you think if you push pause, you'll lose your identity. But for Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am your God. I look at that this way. That I'll never know who God truly is until I'll be, I'm still enough, long enough to know who he is. Some of you don't really know who God is because you've never slowed down long enough to sit down and find out who he is to you. You're still basing it on what somebody told you or who somebody told you God was. You have to push pause and be still. And when you're going through anxious seasons, depression, depression seasons, stressful seasons, those are the times that you become still because those are the times you need to know who God is the most in your life. In the middle of the storm, you need to be able to push pause and be still so that way you can realize, hey, this storm is not my life. It's just a season in my life. This storm is not who I am. Actually, I can see God is in the middle of the storm with me, but you can't see that when you're caught up in the storm. Pushing pause brings you back, lets you uh, clearly figure out and clarify what is going on with you and where God is with you in the middle of the situation. And God has a pause button for you to push. There's a pause button you can push every single day. There's a pause button you can push when life gets chaotic and out of control. When your circumstances rise up, you can push a pause button. And the Bible calls this pause button Sabbath. Touch your other neighbor and say Sabbath. Yeah, it's not like saying freedom or joy. If I would have been up here, forgiveness and mercy, I'd be like, freedom, mercy. Sabbath, oh man, he's talking about Sabbath. 
All he's going to do is tell us to get to church and be at church. And we need to, no, no. Sabbath is a gift from God that helps us recalibrate the rhythms of life back into kingdom rhythms and away from worldly, natural rhythms. My definition of this, Sabbath is, a, is God's gift to us to help us stop the out-of-control rhythms of our lives so that our minds, bodies, hearts, and souls can rest in God and enjoy God. Like Sabbath helps us slow down time, helps us break our weeks. If it was not for God's principle of Sabbath, there would be no such thing as weeks. Literally, you'd be born and it'd be one long week till you die. Sabbath is what breaks those up. It closes off one week and begins something anew. It's a restoration gift from God to say, listen, that week is over. Let's not dwell on it. Let's not look back. Let's look forward to a new beginning in Christ. That's what Sabbath does. Mark Buchanan says, Sabbath is ceasing from what is necessary. I mean, I'm stopping what I have to do to embrace that which gives life. Uh, Sabbath is stopping what I have to do to do what I want to do. Stopping the thoughts I have to think to think about things I want to think about. Stopping running through the routine so I can enjoy the life I'm living now. Stopping things that aren't worthy to things that are worthy. Sabbath is a gift God gives us to help us rediscover joy again. To help us rediscover joy again. And some of you in this room, just hearing the word Sabbath, you think legalism, you think law, you think Ten Commandments, you think, you, you know, have you ever seen the stupid sign on 65 says, if you don't go to church, the devil will get you? One, I wish I could find that church and go to church there, just stand up in the middle of service and be like, you got it wrong, buddy. Like, I, I, it just drives me crazy. When you hear Sabbath, many of us think, get to church or the devil will get you. The Sabbath is not as much of a, of a day to, to force you into as much as it is a principle or a gift God has given you to enjoy the life he's given you. Like, God gave you a new life to enjoy him in, not to suffer through. And when you think you're called to get saved and suffer and hopefully get to heaven, you're not going to live a very good life, and you're not going to live a life anyone else wants to be a part of. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees who thought that. You know, Sabbath is this. You better get to church. You better do this. You better do this and not do this and do this. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. And what he's saying is, you are not made to create laws. The laws were given as promises to keep you. Like God gave you Sabbath so that way the world wouldn't control us. His kingdom would break us free from the world. And when you get a hold of this and you realize Sabbath is not necessarily a day, even though it can be a day, Sabbath is a rhythm you can choose to implement in your life every single day of your life. You can dedicate a certain day of the week to Sabbath. You can dedicate a certain uh, retreat or moments to Sabbath. And these are moments you say, I'm going to push the pause button and get my rhythm back in line with God's kingdom and get away from the world's rhythm. Because the world's rhythm is destroying us. It's running us ragged. It's stressing us out. Our minds never get a chance to rest. Our kids, like I told you, this rhythm. Then we get home. We all get on our screens and our minds are completely full of stimulus. We're always looking at something, taking information, and our minds never get rest. Sabbath says, push pause on all those things and let your mind rest. Push pause on work and let your body 
rest. Push pause on your spirit and your soul and let it rest in God. It's a rhythm. And to show you, this rhythm's been around since God created the universe. It's not a law that, that Moses implemented. It's a rhythm that's built into you as a created being of God. Like it's created in you. And the only choice we have is either to work with the rhythm and dance to the rhythm or dance off beat and dance to the rhythm of the world. And I'm here to tell you, I found that if I'm on the same rhythm as God is, I'm dancing and moving in the same direction. And if I'm dancing with God, he's going to take care of the things I need to take care of because I'm with him and he's with me. But if I'm dancing off rhythm, I can't always expect God to be where I am at. In the same way, this rhythm is in you. You can either dance to it or dance off beat. Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because of it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Sabbath is a blessed day, a blessed principle, a blessed rhythm. Why? God produced, God created for six days. On the seventh day, he says, let's stop and enjoy what we just created. That's, a, that's created inside you as a rhythm, as a, as a principle that's inside of you. Then you get into the law. So before the law, the principle, Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Most of you, that's all you've ever heard. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Meaning, get to church or the devil's going to get you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Hebrews had just come out of bondage in Egypt. They're walking towards the promised land. I don't think God was trying to tell them, this is the law, do this or I don't love you. I think what he's saying is there's a rhythm to the world that's inside of you now because you're in Egypt. And if you don't keep this principle, you may not be in Egypt, but you'll still be in bondage to the principles and the mentality of Egypt. You're going to work, 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 work like a slave like you were in Egypt. You're going to have the same mentality of tiredness and weariness like you would have in Egypt. So therefore, to keep prevent you from going back to that same work mentality, production mentality, I want you to have a Sabbath. So instead of them, God saying, I want you to keep the Sabbath, God is saying, I want the Sabbath to keep you. I want the Sabbath to prevent you from being like the Egyptians. I want the Sabbath to keep you from being like all these people that are running their lives in the ditch because they think they can do, 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 do all day long and never rest and take a break in me. Sabbath keeps us in the rhythm of who God is. Actually, this word rested in Exodus chapter 20 translates to to catch one's breath. So God is saying, keep the Sabbath for when you keep it, it'll help you catch your mental breath. You'll be able to breathe in your mind again. You'll clear space in your mind. Your spirit will breathe again. It's a moment of catching your breath because the work will begin again. The work's always gonna be there. Stop and trust God just for a moment. 
that your work will still be there. But if I focus on God today, he'll build me back up. He'll help me catch my breath. He'll help me be strong again. He'll give me mental clarity. So when I go back to production, I'm refreshed and I can take it on anew with his help, not without his help. You see this between Popeye's and Chick-fil-A. If you go to Popeye's, they don't treat you well. You know why? They have to work on Sunday. They hadn't had a break. They hadn't had a mental rest. They're frustrated. They have to deal with people all day long, every day. Chick-fil-A, they don't operate on Sunday. Monday morning, my pleasure. <laughs> it's amazing in a world full of productivity and getting the highest return on our investments and our money, Chick-fil-A just says, you know what, we're going to push the pause button. Because money, productivity, isn't as important to me, Dan Cathy, as is a culture of rest where my people are taken care of. My people have mental clarity. My people are, are refreshed spiritually and emotionally and physically. And what's amazing is they take off all of Sunday, yet their productivity Monday through Saturday is more than enough to cover for Sunday. So my, my thinking is, what if Dan Cathy treats his employees by giving them a Sabbath moment in their week, treats his employees better than we treat our families? What if we treat our families more like the slave owners in Egypt than we do Dan Cathy at Chick-fil-A? We run our kids, we run our kids, we run our kids, we run our kids. You know what? If we can just get them in one more practice, maybe they'll make the major leagues. Maybe if we can get them on one more travel ball team. Maybe if we can get them in one more hobby. Maybe if we can get them one more thing. We push and push and push and push and they never have a mental break. No wonder their anxiety is so high. They have mom and dad pushing, 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 pushing them. And our kids are having mental breakdowns at 15, 16, 17 years old because there's no break between their thoughts on Saturday and their thoughts on Monday. What if we allowed our kids to push the pause button? What if we allowed ourselves to push the pause button so we could have a moment to catch our breath? What if we really just need, maybe anxiety, you know, there's chemical imbalances and all this stuff we talked about and counseling that are good. But what if a lot of our anxiety is just we never give our brains a chance to really think on things that are important and worthy to think on? What if we just pack them so full of things that aren't really important that we're overloading ourselves and our kids and our lives with things in the long run aren't going to produce the things we really want them to produce anyway? What if we could really add Sabbath as a principal rhythm in our lives and we're people so joyful, so happy, so free, and so at peace that other people in the world want to know how we are so healthy? Because no one really wants to follow someone who's anxious and in bondage to their own thought life. But what if we could find freedom through getting back into rhythm with God? So we see it in Exodus. We see it in the New Testament. Jesus, as his custom, was preaching in the synagogues. He went to the synagogue on Sabbath. As a matter of fact, Jesus chose Sabbath as the day he healed more people on than any other day of the week. I think some of that was just to show the Pharisees, you're so caught up in the law, watch this. Get up and walk. Let me see your hand. Let's, let's heal that hand. And I think what he was really showing was, again, God did not create you for Sabbath. He created Sabbath to help heal and restore man back to the way God wanted them to be to begin with. 
That's why Jesus heals on Sabbath. Trying to bring this principle to reality. Sabbath is a day of healing, refreshing, and joy and restoration for God's people to enjoy before they go back into the world. I want to give you four principles of Sabbath. And to be honest with you, um, before I came to, to chapel five years ago, I really got into studying. I talked to a bunch of pastors about what does Sabbath principles look like to help restore my soul. I saw way too many pastors that were burnt out, that were angry, they didn't treat their family well. They were full-time ministers and part-time Christians. And I said, I don't want to be that guy. And I, talked, I read a bunch of books, and I found these principles for me that worked. And then when I got here, I got caught back into the rhythm of our kids' lives and our lives, and I've gotten away from these principles. But if you get these principles, I promise you, you'll be more healthy mentally, physically, and spiritually than you've ever been in your life. And you can implement these principles, these Sabbath principles of pushing the pause button every day, Throughout your day, you can dedicate one day of the week to your Sabbath. You can dedicate a retreat to Sabbath, call it a sabbatical, whatever you want to call it. My Sabbath is Friday. I try to protect my Friday as a day of rest and enjoying God's presence in my lives. So here's these four principles. Number one, Sabbath is ceasing from what is necessary to celebrate God's freedom. So I'm, I'm going to stop doing what I, I really need to do. I'm going to stop trying to get things done for Monday, Tuesday. I'm going to stop trying to get things done for tomorrow. I'm going to stop trying to get my to-do list done. I'm going to stop doing what I really need to do to focus and celebrate on God's freedom in my life. And we call that worship. So a Sabbath principle is I'm going to stop doing whatever I need to do and take a moment and just refocus and celebrate the fact I'm free. I don't have to live in bondage to my routine. I don't have to live in bondage to my, my habits. I don't have to live in bondage to my schedule. I don't have to live in bondage to my work. I don't have to live in bondage to my, my practices and my games. I can take a moment and realize I'm free. Like God bought me. And God paid a huge price for me. Not for me to be back into bondage, but for me to be free to enjoy him and his presence. And true worship is rest. Rest means this. I can only rest when I realize I'm not responsible. If I think I'm responsible for whatever's going on, I'll get up from the table and I'll keep doing whatever I was doing. Worship reminds me that my salvation, my joy, my righteousness, my hope, my faith, my healing is not built on my abilities. It's not built on my talents, nor my gifts, nor my desires, nor my dreams. It's built on God and God alone. And in that, I can rest realizing no matter what happens, I'm not responsible. If God saved me, God will keep me. If God will keep me, God will deliver me. God will heal me. If I just bring my focus back towards God and what God has done and what God can do, it lets me rest from whatever's looking at me tomorrow. And so true worship is this releasing in my hands of work, releasing in my hands my own protection, because when I worship, I can't protect myself, I can't provide for myself, I can't take care of my kids. All I can do is trust the one who can. And some of you have never truly worshiped because you're still trusting in your own abilities. You're still trusting in your own ability to provide for your family, to protect your kids, to protect your business, Therefore, you'll never push the pause button because you're afraid if you stop working, it all falls apart. I would say when you hit the pause button, you'll realize how invaluable you actually are. 
It's amazing. When I, when I get away from the church and the staff are here, they do 10 times better when I'm not here than when I'm here. When somebody else, when, when Pastor Lee preaches, it, it's, it goes much better than when I preach. I realize I'm just a, a vessel that God uses. I'm not God. And worship is when I stop trying to be God and start imitating God. If God rested on the seventh day, when I keep working and working and working, trying to make things happen, what it means is I think I'm God. I think I can do it. I can, can take control of it. But resting means I'm going to stop trying to be God. And I'm actually going to imitate him and see what happens. And I promise when you imitate him, you'll see he'll do more through you then than any other time. Worship also reminds me I'm identified by God, not my struggle. When I worship God, and, I, and do not take this the wrong way. I believe there's way too much worship music and way too many churches that are built on the struggle of God's people than the deliverance of God's people. And we keep people in the struggle. Worship reminds me that God is my deliverer. God, it reminds me of who God is. I'm identified by him, not by my situation. I'm identified by him, not my stress. I'm identified by him, not my sin. I'm identified by him, not my frustration. I'm identified by him, not my sickness and disease. What happens is, once you embrace your struggle, there's very little hope for you. I've had a rough week dealing with coming out of this message, then going into seeing Jared Wilson's suicide. Jared was a great preacher, great pastor, pastor in California, pastored in Nashville, Tennessee, and Smyrna was back in California, created an entire ministry and platform, entire platform on mental health awareness, anxiety, depression awareness, and suicide prevention. Like that was his platform. Created an entire ministry to help people overcome those things. Created a hotline for anybody who dealt with suicide, suicidal thoughts could call or even tweet 24 hours, seven days a week. So here's Jared who's, who's trying to help people. He actually succumbs his own struggle. The day before International Suicide Prevention Awareness, Jared commits suicide. And I was frustrated, to be honest. I was hurt for, for his family. I was hurt for Greg Laurie and his church at, at Harvest. I was, I, was, I was angry, to be honest. I was angry that somebody who built a platform and had all these people follow him with hope of being delivered and finding freedom, he just closed the door on that hope and freedom. And it frustrated me, and I couldn't figure it out why. And I'm praying, and I'm going through some of these Sabbath principles I have. And you know, I go through counseling, recommend everybody go to counseling. And I was thinking, and I started seeing his Twitter feed. And in Jared's Twitter feed, he started saying things like, you can love God, but you may not overcome your depression. You may love God, but you may never get over your PTSD. You may love God, but always have anxiety. And what I realized was the platform Jared built had now become his identity. And whenever you identify in your struggle more than your God, you'll always lose hope. It could be a struggle with anxiety, like Jared. It could be a struggle with depression. It could be a struggle with your sickness or disease. It could be a struggle with your sin. I've told people, I'm fine with people struggling with their sin. People say, what do you think about uh, people with same-sex attraction? I'm fine with you having that struggle. Like, I believe there's lots of people that are born again, spirit-filled believers who deal with same-sex attraction. My problem is when you begin to identify with your struggle more than the God who's trying to deliver you from your struggle. Once you identify with your struggle, well, I'm a homosexual Christian. Well, I'm a depressed Christian. I'm an addicted Christian. I'm a greedy Christian. I'm a this Christian. Once you do that, you're saying to God, I identify with this 
more than you. I believe in this more than you. I'm separating myself from you towards this. Once you get to that point, nine times out of ten, you will succumb to your struggle. And worship reminds me, you are not your struggle. It reminds me, Bobby, you are not your struggle. You are not your frustration. You are not your storm. You are not your circumstances. You are not your sickness. You are not your disease. You are a son of the living God, and who the son sets free is free indeed. You can choose. Sabbath says, I'm pushing pause right now. My thoughts are running back towards my identity, my struggle, and all this. I can push the pause and say, whoa, whoa, let me bring my attention back towards my freedom. And you can do that every day. For some of you in your car, they may be turning off talk radio. <laughs> I'm a talk radio guy until I realize they're all crazy. Like, I don't need to hear another thing Sean Hannity has said. He said everything he's going to say multiple times. I need to refocus and recalibrate my attention on God, my deliverer. Because the next president is not my deliverer, God is. It may be put on worship music. It may be able to take some time out of your lunch break and go spend time with God and refocus. It may be on Sunday morning instead of just coming through the motions saying, this is the day our family, myself, is going to celebrate the freedom God has given me. Because he's been good to me. And I'm going to celebrate what he has done. Number two, Sabbath is ceasing from what is necessary to listen to God's voice. Sabbath pushes Paul's on the rhythm of the world so you can listen for God and get recalibrated by his voice. It's impossible to be led by the Spirit if you don't hear God's voice. Like, he can't lead you without his voice. He leads his people through his voice, and if your schedule is so confined, if your mind is so cluttered, if it's so noisy all around you, you'll never hear God's voice. And I know as charismatic Pentecostal people, we think the louder it is and the bigger it is, the more God is there. Many times, God is in the silence. Elijah, he was up on the mountaintop, the mountain of the Lord, which is the place God had spoken to him before. It's a place God moved and miracles and showed up. So he's up there, he's depressed, he's hiding out in a cave. Like literally hiding in a cave. He's scared, he's anxious, he's literally depressed. It says there was an earthquake. He thought God's voice may be in the earthquake. But he listened, God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was thunder and lightning. He thought, well, maybe God's voice is no voice. Then there's a fire, maybe no voice. Then all of a sudden he said there's a silence. In the middle of the silence, there's a gentle, low whisper. He said in a gentle, low whisper was God's voice. That tells me that many times you're not going to hear God's voice until you create a space, you create a margin to cut out every other voice in your life. The TV, the noise, the sound, and you say, God, I have 10 minutes this morning. And this morning I just want to give you these 10 minutes. I'm cutting off the music, and I just want to clear out my thoughts. I want to meditate. Meditation is nothing than this. It's getting rid of all the other thoughts in your mind, getting rid of all the clutter, and emptying your thoughts so that God can give you thoughts that are in you. And letting God speak and give you thoughts. But here's the problem. We think God is more pleased in our busyness than our intimacy. I'm going to say it again. We think God is more pleased with us when we're busy than when we are intimate. 
That's why our prayer life is like two to three minutes rather than prolonged times of spending time with God. We think God is more pleased when we go do something in God's name than we spend time just soaking up God's spirit. Samuel did the same thing. First Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to read it to you. It says in verse 1, it says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering. Everybody say ministering. He's ministering to the Lord, meaning he's doing really good stuff to God in the temple or in the church under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision or revelation. Meaning he was ministering to God. He was in the church. He was doing things that church people do. He was religious. He was doing all the right things. But if you skip down to verse 7, here's what it says. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. You know what that tells me? You can be very busy doing things in God's name and still not know him. You can do a whole lot of good stuff. You can be an usher, in parking lot, preacher, pastor, worshiper. You can do a whole lot of stuff saying, feel good. I'm doing a lot of stuff good for God. And still not even know him. And I believe we are in a, in a culture where we think doing something in God's name is better than resting in God's name. And I think when you rest in God's name and you hear God's voice, it recalibrates your spirit back to where God wants it to be, aligned with kingdom, not aligned with earth. And when I'm aligned with the, with the kingdom of heaven, then I receive kingdom principles, kingdom energy, kingdom strength, kingdom power, so that way I can conquer the world rather than the world conquer me. But I can't do that with the world's voice telling me who I am. I need God telling me who I am. I need God restoring my soul based on my identity and who he is. I need God's perspective about who I am. I need God's perspective about what I'm facing. I need God's perspective about my family. But if I don't give him the space and the silence to do so, I'll go around believing a lie and think it's the truth. Silence is key. Like many of you will go home today and watch football. Like it's, it never fails. In my house, I don't watch any TV, hardly ever. But when the Titans come on, I try to watch the Titans game. And to be honest, I don't like confessing this, if Alabama's playing, I try to watch the Alabama game. Like, don't tell all the Auburn fans because they'll get all upset. So when I turn it on, it never fails. Once I turn it on, then everybody in my house who didn't want to talk to me for hours wants to come and talk to me. So I try to be like a really focused father and husband and try to do all the right stuff you're supposed to do in marital counseling, and I'm trying. And so Toya's talking about something probably very important, but I'm watching Marcus Mariota. I have one ear towards the TV. Toy is here, so I'm trying to make eye contact. Because, you know, they tell you eye contact means you're listening. So I'm trying to make good eye contact, listen. And what I've learned is I hear her, but I'm not really listening to her. Because she'll tell me, like, the next day, she's like, did you do so-and-so? I said, you didn't ask me to do that. She said, I told you. I said, when? She said, during the football game. I said, my point exactly. We do the same thing with God. Well, we want to have all this noise all around us. And then we're trying to say we're trying to listen to God, but we don't ever really hear God. And then we get frustrated because we don't get the answer we thought we should have. Maybe if we cut down the clutter and cut down the noise and gave God some, some space, because here's the dilemma. You're never going to rest in God until you listen to God. But you're never going to listen to God until you learn to rest in God. See the paradox here? You have to trust in the rest. You have to listen to him to rest. But if you don't listen to him, you're not going to rest him. If you don't rest him, you're not going to listen to him. And there's a whole lot of people, we do neither. What if you just push the pause button early in the morning? You said, you know what, I'm going to push the pause button this morning. 
And for 20 minutes before the kids get up, I'm just going to sit in the recliner and just give God silence to work with. Maybe once a week, instead of going out to eat with people at the office, you just go to your car, you turn everything off, maybe a little bit of worship music. You say, I'm just going to give God some silence to work with. What if on Sundays or Sabbath, whatever yours is, mine's Friday, what if it's a, it's a no social media day? What if it's a no TV day? It's a day of, of silence, just us and our voices, our, our laughter, our jokes, our, our love. What if that day was a day we cut out the clutter, push pause and all that, because we can get to that Monday, Facebook will be there Monday, Twitter will be there Monday, Instagram will be there Monday, work will be there Monday. Let's just push pause and give God some space. What do you, what do you, how do you think God would honor? What do you think God could speak into your spirit that could restore you back? Number three. We have to cease, Sabbath is ceasing from what is necessary to enjoy God's blessings. Sabbath is ceasing from what you have to do right now to slow down and enjoy the blessings God has already given you. Some of you are so busy chasing blessings for tomorrow, you're overlooking your blessings today. And some of you think, well, you know, the Christian life isn't about blessings. Yes, it is. It's about enjoying God's presence Enjoying God's gifts here and now in preparation for heaven. This life is rehearsing for when we get to heaven. And one of the quickest things that dies in adults, more than anything else, faster than anything else, we think once I become an adult, I get responsible. I need to work. I need to provide for my family. I need to do this. I need to get my kids having fun, get them involved, get them in practice, get them here. And our fun dies. Our playfulness dies. And we lose that playfulness. We lose our joy. And you get so busy, you stop caring about the things that you used to care about. Matthew chapter 18 says this way, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put them in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn to me, come like children. Touch your neighbor and say childlike. Childlike. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know what kids have, what childlikeness is? It's being full of joy and wonder and curiosity and adventure and excitement and hope and, and looking forward to things. Kids, you can tell them their birthday's in November, they'll get excited now. You tell them Christmas is in six months, they get excited now. Kids are amazed by some of the smallest blessings in life. And an adult will walk right past that blessing with no awe or wonder at all. And I think what happens is we kill that spirit of joy because we replace it with, with responsibility and production rather than enjoyment of God. If you've ever seen the movie Citizen Kane, one of the greatest movies ever made. The whole movie's about this one guy who's conquered the world. Business, empire, money, riches, fame. He's got it all. He's on his deathbed. He keeps whispering this one word, rosebud. Rosebud. The whole time he's dying, rosebud. Rosebud. No one could figure out what it meant. And so they start digging through his stuff and they find an old picture that he had with him. And that picture was him as a little child, six, seven years old. And in that picture, he's holding up an old, what we call snow sleigh, sled, that had the name rosebud written in it. This man who'd conquered the world was still looking back to the most playful moment in his entire life was his most happy moment. And some of you are so busy trying to conquer the world, you've missed the blessings that you've already conquered. Some of you are so busy 
trying to get your kid more, kids more blessings, you've lost sight that your kids are the blessing. You're so busy trying to provide something for your spouse or your wife, you've lost sight your wife is the blessing. You're so busy trying to make a life, you're not living a life. And that's the thing with busyness. This is what busyness does. If you don't intentionally live your life, your life will run you and live you. And what happens when you're busy is when you're busy, you stop caring about the things you should care about. You stop caring about the blessings that are most important. When you die, you're not going to be looking for your car or your house or your job or Nick Saban. You're going to be looking for your wife and kids. You're going to be looking for your husband and your children. You're going to be looking for the things that are important. Business robs us, robs us of the things that are truly worthy of our attention and our time. And Sabbath pushes the pause button and says, pause. Hit the pause button. Because these things around you, I've already given you, are worth it. Enjoy them. Enjoy your family. Sabbath means enjoy your time. It may be a hobby or an interest. Mine is, I've always wanted to fly fish. Like, since I was probably 20 years old, I read a book by Bobby Knight on coaching. It's supposed to be a basketball coaching book. The whole book, 90% of the book was about him fly fishing with the baseball great Ted Williams. Traveling to Russia, traveling to the Pacific Northwest, traveling to North Carolina, traveling to the Rockies, fly fishing. Since then, I've had this desire, this adventure to fly fish. And so I'm getting ready to start that. My Fridays will be fly fishing Fridays for me. I told the kids, I'm going to take you fly fishing. I told Toya, Toya's like, I don't want to go fly fishing. I said, you know what? You don't love me. I don't like you anymore. The whole... So what I've done in preparation is I have a Sabbath moment every day. We have a fly fishing book that I read that engages my mind into something I enjoy rather than something I'm worrying about tomorrow. And see, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the life God has given you. Actually, the Westminster Catechism says this, if you come from a Reformed background or Presbyterian background, it says this, what is the chief purpose of man? And the answer is, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And you do that. So here's our leisure. I'm talking about active leisure, actively enjoying the blessings of God. That's things like hiking. That's things like walking your dog with your family. That's things like going on an adventure with your family. We are into passive leisure, which means we go from work to laziness. I'm talking about going from work to enjoyment. Laziness, leisure, passively, is when you go home, you're all on a screen in a different room, you're, you're doing Snapchat, you're doing Instagram, you're watching Netflix, you're watching Hulu, you're watching this, you're, and, and your mind is not engaged with anything that produces life. Remember, Sabbath is ceasing from what is necessary to embrace that which gives life. You're never going to find life in a screen. All that happens is your body disengages, your mind disengages, your, your spirit disengages, and you go numb to the moment rather than enjoying the moment. Active leisure says we're going to engage together and we're going to enjoy everything together and we're going to do something that produces life. As a matter of fact, psychiatrists have determined active leisure is beneficial for your mental and physical health. Passive leisure is actually detrimental to your mental and physical health. Active leisure actually recalibrates your brains and produces new nerve endings that tell your body and your mind everything is okay. What that means is you could be having a really difficult week, really stressed out. You say, family, we did this for Labor Day. I told the family, I told toys, like, let's just go. So I said, we're going to go. We made a surprise. We're going to go whitewater rafting. 
Me and Tori in the back, RG and Alicia are leading the raft down the river. It was one of the most stressful days of my entire life. So we're going down the river, it's like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to die, we're all going to die. We're going down the river, and it was one of those, one, we created a memory for our family, but we enjoyed the outdoors, we enjoyed things actively together, and enjoyed the blessings that God has given us together. And what that does, it tells your brain, once you're engaged in activity that's not connected to your work or your stress, it tells your body, everything's okay. You just tricked your mind into enjoying, because here's the thing. You can't have joy and depression in the same mind. If I'm rejoicing, my depression is fleeing. But if I'm depressing, then my my joy is fleeing. And you can choose to actively enjoy. Look at it this way. What is one hobby or one interest you wanted your whole life to do? If you won a million dollars or won the lottery, and besides doing something crazy stupid, what would you do? if you could enjoy life without worrying about work. Whatever that is, find a way to implement that in your life and enjoy it. Because I believe many times that's a desire God has given you or something with your personality or your characteristics. God wants you to enjoy life now through. Use it as a Sabbath principle. Read about it. Engage with it. Go do it. Instead of vacation where you go and you chill on the beach and you're more tired when you come back than you were when you left, find something that engages you in life. And number four, Sabbath is ceasing from what is necessary to reflect on God's sovereignty. It's ceasing from what is necessary to reflect, to think about, to remember how good God has been and what God has done up until this point. You have to reflect. It doesn't happen naturally. The world is telling you to think stressing thoughts, depressing thoughts, worrying thoughts, all these other things. When you stop and reflect on God's sovereignty, that God is in control. God is king. You are not. God is Lord. You are not. When you reflect and you remind yourself of who God is, it changes what you're going through. Philippians chapter 3 says it this way. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing, everybody say one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Reflection is this. I'm going to look back and I'm going to remember how good God has been to me. I'm going to look back and remember, he brought me so far. God has brought me to places I should never be. God has brought me out of the pigsty into the palace. God has healed my kids. I can look back and reflect on how good God has been. And it reminds me that if God has been so good to me, he's not going to change today. If God was good to you for the last 30 years, he's not going to stop today and just say, you know what, I've been good, I'm tired of being good. If he's been good up until this point, I can rest assured that my foundation is sure. If he saved me, he's probably going to keep me. If he's going to keep me, he's probably going to deliver me. If he's going to deliver me, he's probably going to bring me up with him into heaven. So if I can remember how good he has been, I don't have to worry about anything else. What happens is when you don't take time to reflect, you'll think that God has stopped being good. The Hebrews, they were supposed to look back towards Egypt, 
to remember God's freedom and deliverance, but they weren't supposed to stay there. Because the other part of reflection is, I'm, I'm going to forget all those things that lie behind me that I don't need to bring with me into the future. So reflection is, I'm remember the good things, but I'm forgetting the bad things. I'm forgetting all my failures, all my mistakes, all my sin, all the people that hurt me, all the people that betrayed me. I'm reflecting and leaving those things back there. Because if I repent of my sin and I cast my cares upon Jesus, he cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Why am I keeping on living and letting the enemy bring them back up? Reflection means I dealt with that years ago. I'm not going back through it again. Reflection means I'm stopping this pattern, stopping this week. This week is over. Everything bad that happened is last week. Now there's a new life I'm looking forward to. You, you'll never get to that point without pushing pause and reflecting. Because the third point is reflection is I'm going to look forward with high expectation towards something in front of me. Paul says, I grab a hold of something in the future. Meaning there has to be something that is hope-filled enough and important enough in the future that will pull you through every single moment of your life. And I get to that point, the reflection, man, God has been good. Man, I'm not bringing all that stuff forward, but I'm gonna grab a hold. If God was good to me then, God's already good for me tomorrow. If God healed me then, God's gonna heal me tomorrow. And you grab a hold of it. People that deal with the depression, anxiety, they stop at today and think, well, God has been good, but look at all this stuff that still happened. And they never have something to grab a hold of. You will stay in a cycle of anxiety until you grab a hold of something that is greater than what you're going through right now. And until you grab a hold of it, because you can't live in the past and live in the future at the same time. As a matter of fact, the Hebrews, they're walking out of Egypt into the wilderness. God tells them, look back. I want you to see this Red Sea part. I want you to see the Red Sea fall down upon these Egyptians. I want you to see how good I've been to you. But then they start walking, he says, I don't want you to look back anymore. I don't want you to look back at the pain. I don't want you to look back at the bondage. I don't want you to look back at the slavery. I don't want you looking back at the failures. I don't want you looking back there because there's nothing back there for you. I want you to look forward to the promised land. See, it's very hard to see the promised land when you're looking back at the bondage. It's very hard to look at the promises of God when you're looking back at the sufferings of God. It's very hard to look forward to hope when you're looking back to all the failings. You have to come to a place where I reflect on God has been good. There's some things that didn't work out, but I'm leaving those back there and I'm turning forward to face a new day. Sabbath pushes pause and says, let's close this chapter and start writing a new one. Sabbath is a gift from God. You can reflect. Me, Anthony Mark, we're on a trip. He has a journal that has, it's a five-year journal. There's a little bit of line for each, each year for each day. Literally, I just, it takes me two sentences to write it. But what it does, it helps fuel my gratitude of what God has done in my life today. And the next day, I can look back and see it. In five years, I can look back and see it. It's as simple as writing down what you're grateful for. For some of you, it may be to write down a promise of Scripture on your mirror, on your speedometer, in your car. For some, maybe you dream a goal. What is something you want to hold on to and believe God for in the future? Could it be healing? Could it be salvation of your kids or your family? Could it be a dream you want to see accomplished? What is it that you want to grab a hold of that you're going to hold on to and let it pull you through those storms and difficult seasons in life? You have to have something. Quit holding on to the past and hold on to something in the future. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment.
Sabbath is a rhythm. It's the rhythm of heaven on earth. You look throughout scripture, there's all these rhythms. There's feasting rhythms and fasting rhythms. I mean, we're going to fast, we're going to sacrifice, then we're going to feast. There's working rhythms and resting rhythms. Ecclesiastes says there's a season for everything. There's joy seasons and weeping seasons. There's rhythms in the kingdom of God. But when we let the rhythms of the world kind of infiltrate our lives, we need an ability to push pause and recalibrate. And Sabbath is the rhythm of heaven here on earth, a principle that you can add to your lives every single day of your life. It's a principle you and your family can say, you know what, Monday nights are going to be our our Sabbath night. It's a night we're going to celebrate God's freedom together. It's going to be a night we, we create some silence and some margin and hear God's voice together. It's going to be a night we, we enjoy the blessings of each other in our lives together. It's going to be a night we reflect on who God has been to us and what God is doing. You can do that every single day of your life. You can create special moments that recalibrate your life back to the way God created you to be. I encourage you. I challenge you. Sit down with your spouse, sit down with your family and find out what you can implement to create a Sabbath rhythm in your life. Number two, there's some of you in this room, it's not about pushing pause because your game is out of control, out of control. Your life is out of control. And if you were to push pause, the moment you unpush pause, push play again, it's going to be right back out of control. It's because you're playing the wrong game. You're playing the game that you want to play rather than the game God wants you to play or living the life you want to live rather than the life God wants you to live. And it is out of control. And you don't need to push pause. You need to push reset. Push reset on that game console and let God give you a new life and a new hope and a new future. That only happens by dying to yourself, letting yourself die on the game you're on now and letting God give you a new life. And that happens through repenting, saying, God, I realize. I've been trying to run my own kingdom, my own life, my own game. I've been trying to do my own thing. And I realize I've sinned against you. I've failed you miserably. And I just want to ask for your mercy that I realize I've betrayed you. I've rebelled against you. I need your mercy. And I just ask that you Show me grace. You pour your blood upon me and wash me and give me a new life and a new hope with you in your family, in your kingdom. And if you do, I'll serve you. I'll be loyal to you. I'll worship you. And I'll be grateful for you from here all the way through eternity. If that's you, you say, no, I just need to hit the reset button and start over. If that's you, I'm not going to have you come forward right where you are. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if you raise your hand, I just want you, as I pray, I want you to pray. I just want you to pray that, God, I need your mercy in my life. God, I need you to wash me. I repent of my sin. I realize I've been trying to run this on my own. I, I need you to run it. I'll be submitted to you as you run my life. And, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that has cleansed me, made me new. And as you do, and after we pray, if you can do me two favors. One, if you can let somebody know at the info center or down here at the front so we can get your name, get you a gift so we can help you walk it out correctly and love on you and pray for you. And two, the next step would be water baptism for you. 
which is your public, I'm declaring my allegiance to Christ and his kingdom. I'm declaring my love for him. I want the world to know that I'm not ashamed of him, that I love him, and I'm walking with him the rest of my life. Father, we love you. We thank you for the blessings you've given us. We thank you for Sabbath. And Father, I know a lot of people have a negative mentality, a negative perspective on Sabbath, but I hope they see it as a blessing. That, Father, this is a rhythm of life that closes one week and starts another. That's a blessing of life that helps us push the pause button in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits to realign our lives with the things that are really important, with the things that are worthy, and the things that we should be grateful for. And so, Father, let's pray for everyone in this room that their lives are out of rhythm, their lives are in chaos, their lives are, are determined by their routines and their calendars, for them to have the courage to push pause and the trust that, Father, as a rest, that you'll take care of everything else. And so, Father, we thank you. For those that raise their hands, I just pray as they've acknowledged you as Savior, they've acknowledged their sin before you, as, Father, they've repented that you washed them. Wash them white as snow. Wash them in the blood of Jesus. Father, renew in them a new heart. Take up residence within them. And, Father, give them a new life, a new purpose, and a new hope. And, Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, stand to your feet all of the room. If I can have ministry altar workers come forward, we're going to go into three minutes of worship real quick just to kind of close out this Sunday. A couple things. One, if you need prayer for anything, our altar team's down front to pray for you, for wisdom, to agree with you, for healing, whatever is going on in your life, somebody to love on you, be a blessing to you. Secondly, as you're worshiping, I want you to start thinking through, how can I implement Sabbath in my schedule? How can I implement Sabbath in my life? What are some things I can enjoy? What are, how are some ways I can silence my soul before God? And write those things down and start implementing those on a daily basis or a weekly basis in Jesus' name.